Well, this week I started doing my taxes. Yay. There's a comedian who said, people who file their taxes on the first day are the grown-up version of the kids who ask the teacher for extra homework in school. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know that I thought I would get started. And so um, on my day off, I got all of our, the papers and I put them out and I got my computer and I got ready to start doing it. And I, so I was working on it. So Gabe came by and he saw what I was doing and he said, what is this? And I said, oh, this is taxes. And he said, well, what, you know, and we started talking about it. And so out of that discussion, he said, dad, how much money do you have? And so instead of answering that question, which has a sad answer, I, um, I distracted him by t- explaining how much money we make in a whole year, which sounds a lot better when you say it like that. And so then he said, wow, well, that's a lot. Like, how, where do you have all that money? I said, well, no, I mean, it's, this is how it works, Gabe. So, so I get paid, but then the government takes a bunch of that money and then my job gives me the rest of that money, and then we pay bills and we live on that. And then we get to around tax time, and then I try as hard as I can to get that money from the government. And that's kind of how taxes work. And, um, you know, kids are a deduction, but they're still taxing. <laughs> right? All right, on, in that, on that I'll, I'll tell you one more joke. What's the difference between death and taxes? The government doesn't meet every year to make death worse. Uh-huh. Why am I talking about taxes so much? Because Jesus is too. We're in our Luke series, Luke for everyone. And guess what? Jesus is talking about taxes at tax time. Could this get any better? I mean, it's so great. Someone asks Jesus, should we pay our taxes? <laughs> Gee, I wonder what Jesus is going to say. I wonder, like, what would Jesus do? Have they not heard of this? Why are you asking Jesus this question? It doesn't make sense. Everyone knows we're supposed to pay our taxes, but, but would he claim his full deductions? You know, does he have medical expense, you know, deductions? Or what about um, his, his charitable giving? Does he, does he have deductions for that? Are there loopholes with the Roman tax system that you can exploit legally? without sin? Is that possible? I don't know. But I do know that Jesus is in Roman-occupied Israel called Palestine. That, that um, they just cheered. Jesus wasn't from Jerusalem, but he came to Jerusalem, and we know that from the last few weeks, and they cheered him in. And as Jesus came into Jerusalem and they cheered him in, that they were shouting things that might as well have been hailed to the king. For, for what they meant it and how everyone heard it and understood it. That's how Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem. And then Jesus goes into the temple and he cleans out the temple, flips over the tables and drives people out and, and knocks things out of people's hands. And then he takes up his seat there and he begins to teach in the temple. And the people loved him. They all flocked there. They want to hear what Jesus has to say. And so they're, they're listening. And of course, not everyone loved Jesus. The rulers didn't love Jesus. They hated Jesus. And so they were working on how to deal with this problem. They were really worried. The Pharisees are worried on one side that Jesus is the devil. And on the other side, the Sadducees, the political leaders, they're worried that Jesus is going to start a riot and a revolution. 
And so they try to trap him. That was last week and, or the week before. And he embarrassed them. Remember, he told this parable and the story was basically that God was going to take the kingdom away from them and give it to willing, fruitful hearts. And so they go with the big guns. They ask him a question now about paying taxes, which everyone knows is guaranteed trouble, no matter how you look at it. So let's read the story. We're in Luke chapter 20, verses 19 to 26. And this is the story. So Jesus just told them this parable, and they're upset. So the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. That's how they talk. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. This is our story. This is God's word. See, God wants your whole heart and everything. He wants your whole heart and everything. See, the challenge of Jesus is that we would render a true heart. There's a story of a guy who he heard a sermon, and he'd been wrestling in some of the stuff he'd been keeping in. And the sermon was on Psalm 52, verses 3 to 4, which is on lies and deceit. And so he began to feel convicted. And after a while, he wrote a letter to the IRS, or for us, it would be Canada Revenue. And he wrote this, I can't sleep knowing that I've cheated on my income tax. Enclosed is a check for $150. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest. (laughs) Should we pay our taxes? Should we pay our taxes? Is it okay to cheat on my taxes? Like, I don't think this is a question we wrestle with. Is it? Like, is it okay to cheat on my taxes? I I don't think we're wrestling with that question. I think pretty much we know. We might not like it. We might not even live it, but I think we all know you're supposed to pay your taxes. I think we know that's right and what's right and wrong there in that situation. But for them, in first century Palestine, they weren't sure. They weren't sure because there was a question. And the question had to do with the denarius, this coin. Now, the coin was worth about a day's wage for a Roman soldier, and it became kind of, that's the standard, a day's wage for a Roman soldier. Jesus, in one of his stories, talks about the workers getting paid one denarius. It was like the day's wage. And and although there were plain copper coins being minted in Judea, so they were making coins there, but these coins, these silver and some gold coins, were being made under the authority of the emperor, who was at the time Tiberius. And it was happening in France, actually, in a different part of the Roman Empire. They would make the coins and then spread these coins out over the Roman Empire. 
Now, this coin has on it the image of Tiberius's face, the emperor's face. And on the other side of the coin is an engraving of him sitting on his throne in priestly robes. So like we have the queen on one side, her head, and on the other side we've got a leaf or an animal with horns, antlers, a beaver, right? Do you guys use coins anymore? I can't remember what they look like. Anyway, so the same thing for them. They have the image of his face on one side, and on the other side is like their leaf or their other thing is the, the emperor sitting on his throne with these robes. And the inscription on it says, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. I mean, this was a problem. This coin was a problem. And it was, the question they asked Jesus was this, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Is it lawful? And, and for any legitimate God-fearing Jew who was trying to follow the commandments, this was a debated question. This was a thing they wrestled through and over. Because the, the command in Exodus 20 says this, you shall have no other gods beside me. You shall not make for yourself a sculptured image or any likeness of what is in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. And so the, the genuine law follower, the person who wanted to please God, wrestled with this. Images. Images were a thing. They were an issue. Any likeness, like the picture of a head or a guy, that was a problem. The Cultural Background Study Bible says this, conservative Jews were supposed to avoid images. A few years earlier, Jerusalemites told Pilate they would rather die than allow the imperial standards bearing Caesar's image into the city. Most dramatically, this coin, this very coin we're talking about, and the attendant tax that it's connected to, had incited a revolt a quarter of a century earlier. But Jews could not pay taxes without this coin. It was mandatory for poll taxes in all of the empire's provinces. This was the problem that they had. Now, Jesus knows the heart. So people come all the time and they ask Jesus questions. Jesus is a teacher. He's a rabbi. That's what you would do to a rabbi. You would go find a a wise rabbi, a well-respected rabbi, and you would ask him the hard questions about how you are to follow God and understand the law. That's what they did. They would go and they'd ask the hard questions. And if they were a wise and well-respected rabbi, usually they had a great answer. And you could say, oh, wow, okay, I'm going to follow in this rabbinic teaching or in this this, uh, way. And you'd follow that person and their teaching because you'd say, oh, that, that makes sense. So people came to Jesus all the time. But that's not the case here. We know that. These are not genuine seekers. They're not diligent students. They're not sincere learners. These were spies. Spies. And we know that Jesus is in the target. That's not a real picture. I made that. Who would make a picture like that? Only a pastor trying to illustrate something. Jesus was the target, though, for them. He had the target on his back or in this picture on his front. Jesus was the one they were after. In all the stories, you go back, the Pharisees wanted him dead. Why? Because in their mind, he's a lawbreaker. He's the one healing people on the Sabbath and picking wheat heads and not washing his hands well enough. And there were all these issues, and so they wanted him dead. To them, he was a renegade rabbi. 
He was like off the rails. They didn't know what was going on with him. And on the other side, of course, we had the Sadducees and political leaders who also want him dead. They want him dead for different reasons, though, because they're worried that Jesus is going to start a revolution and it's going to shake everything that they've built. Their cozy relationship with the Romans is all going to pot if Jesus starts a revolution or there's a riot in the city. So they also want him dead. They consider him a revolutionary rabbi. And so together, as they're on this council, the Sanhedrin, they start plotting and planning how they're going to get Jesus. Now, we've talked about the two different groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So if you want more information, you can go back to those sermons. But the the reality is those two groups who, who fought with each other all the time, it's like they, right now they said, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so they all said, Jesus is our enemy. He's enemy number one. So then Pharisees, you're his enemy too. So I guess we could be friends right now. And so they all start working together to get Jesus, even though they don't get along, even though they disagree all the time. And so Matthew and Mark tell us that this time it's the Pharisees and the Herodians. These two, so the Herodians is like a political party. Yeah, Herod, yay, Herod, right? There's a political, and they're working together. Now, they wouldn't ever do this, but they are right now because they're after Jesus. And they're working together because they know we could get him with our argument or your argument. We have the two sides, and we're going to nail him one way or the other. The plan is either we're going to nail him religiously or politically. That's the idea. Because, you know, he's going to either be shown as a religious fraud if he says, yes, pay the tax. Or if he says, no, don't pay the tax, they're going to nail him for starting a revolution and being against Caesar. And so this is their plan and their plot. And of course, Mark says, knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus, he said to them, why put me to the test? It's like Jesus already knows what's going on with them. He's not flattered by their kind words. He knows exactly what's going on. And Jesus knows it's a trap. He knows it's not a real question. And so when we hear the answer, we need to think of it that way. Jesus isn't, he's not teaching someone who said, Jesus, help me understand what I do with this tax. He's responding to people who are coming after him. That's his answer. It's to indict them even as they're indicting him. And he asked them for a coin, which I didn't know this was a thing, but commentators will say the fact that Jesus asks them for the coin and they have to produce it is an embarrassment. Like picture, right? It's the coin. Oh, should we pay the coin, the blasphemous coin? And Jesus says, hey, do you have a coin? And they say, um, well, do you have a coin? I don't know. Yeah, sure. I can, well, well, I guess we have a coin somewhere here. It's just some blasphemer have a coin. No, you have a coin? I don't know. Oh, here's one right here. I just found it in my pocket. Yes, we have a coin, Jesus. And then Jesus just, he lays into them with the most epic burn of all time, right? Now, here's the thing. Later, this is their very accusation in front of Pilate. This is what they say to Pilate when they accuse Jesus, when they're trying to get him crucified. This is the accusation, Luke 23, verse 2. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a king. Now, the hilarious part is like all the people who were there on that day 
went home, they would tell their family, oh, you should have heard what Jesus said to them. Oh, my goodness, the answer of this guy. You've got to come out tomorrow and hear Jesus. Man, like, we bring the whole family. We've got to go listen to Jesus tomorrow when he's in the temple. And everyone knew. That's why when they're accusing Jesus, everyone knows it's made up because this very situation happened and Jesus answered and he didn't just say, don't give your tribute to Caesar and claim kingship. Jesus says, render to Caesar what Caesar's. There's a, a story many years ago of a little boy. He wanted $100, and he tried a bunch of different ways to get $100, and he couldn't, so in the end, he decided he was going to pray. And so he prayed and said, Lord, give me $100. And he waited, and nothing happened. And so he thought, maybe I need to write a letter. This is back when people wrote letters. And so he wrote a letter to the Lord, and he said, Lord, would you please give me $100? Uh, you know, I really need it. And then he mailed the letter, and on the front of the letter, he wrote, Lord, and then Canada, and he put the letter in the mail. And so the post office got this letter, and they were like, who's this letter for? I don't know. Where should we send this? I don't know. It's like, it's not Santa. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Uh, Maybe, well, we'll send it to the prime minister. And so they send it to the prime minister. Prime minister gets the letter, and he opens it up, and he's like, oh, and he kind of laughs. He's like, oh, this is kind of cute. You know, maybe a little misguided, but okay, you know. And so he says, yeah, well, you know, I'll give him something. So he gets $5 and puts it in the, the envelope, and he mails it back. And, you know, it's like $5 is a lot for a little kid, so, you know, that'll be good. And the boy does get the letter, and he opens it, and he gets the $5, and he says, oh, this is great. He's very delighted. And so he writes a thank you letter to the Lord. So this is what he writes. He says, dear Lord, thank you very much for sending me the money. However, I noticed that for some reason you had it sent through Ottawa, and as usual, the jerks deducted $95. It's a smart kid. Many of us, we view the government like that, don't we? Taxes like that. Like, you know, hey, pay me under the table. We'll, like, we'll make sure the government doesn't steal the money. Like, they're the thieves. That's the government, you know, and taxes are like, that's kind of how a lot of us view this. And then when we hear Jesus' rebuttal to give Caesar what belongs to Caesar, we hear it like he's saying, you know, pay your taxes. Like, you know, if I went to you and I said, hey, you know, I'll do this for you. And you're like, okay, I'll pay a hundred bucks. And you're like, yeah, just pay me in cash so it's under the table. And you'd be like, Render to Caesar what's Caesar's. And I'd be like, shut up. No. <laughs> right? Like, we might say that meaning, like, make sure you pay your taxes. Because that's how we hear it and think of it. Now, they had problems with this. And even bigger than just the coin, the actual coin, was the tax. It's a poll tax. The poll tax meant that everyone in the Roman Empire paid one denarius one time a year. They'd have to pay this tax, like, like a census tax, kind of like your person in the Roman Empire, you've got to pay the tax. And what it really meant and said to the people of the empire, so maybe not the Romans, Roman citizens who like love this, the rest of the people in the Roman Empire feel like what it's saying to them is, I own you. Pay your tax because I own you. You belong to me. And not just to Rome but to the emperor. And for the Jews, it was a pagan emperor who claimed to be God. This emperor, this is what he's claiming to be God. God and the son of God. That's what it says on the coin even. And then his image is on it. It's like a, it's a double insult. The tax and the coin for the Jews. It was a wrestle. And Jesus says to them, whose inscription is on, whose likeness 
An inscription is on the coin and they answer. And then Jesus says, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Like, paying taxes isn't worship. It isn't worship. It's just paying taxes. The problem with your heart isn't that you had a coin. That's not the problem with your heart. You know, a few years ago, we had this this big foo in the church about Starbucks. I don't know if you knew this, but the Starbucks logo became a big thing because the, 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 the girl on there is a goddess. She, that's a picture of a goddess. Their logo is a goddess. And so, so there was this, suddenly this, this wrestle, this struggle with people like, oh no, like if, I'm, if I have this cup, if I'm buying Starbucks coffee, am I... Am I committing idolatry? Am I, am I under this? And this was a wrestle for people. Starbucks was suddenly idol worship. If you went to Waves, you were okay. <laughs> if only it were that easy that to get rid of the idolatry in my life, I could just get rid of my Starbucks cup or the coin in my pocket. If only it were that easy. What belongs to Caesar? What belongs to Caesar? We don't have a Caesar. Woman's <laughs> like, does that mean the government? What does that mean? What about us? What's our wrestle? You know, we're not offended by pictures of people. We're not, maybe you're offended by the queen's picture on the coin. I don't know, but most people aren't. That's not a thing, really. So what are we wrestling with? What's our struggle? What's our confusion that we wrestle with? Different things. I can remember uh, the closest, I'm worried about telling this story, the closest, I should have previewed this story before I got up, um, the closest pub and liquor store to my house was the Witch Pub. And if you know, you're from Maple Ridge, you know where that pub is. Um, technically, it was called the Witch of Endor Pub, and it was named after a well-known pub, I think this was the, where it came from, a well-known pub in, in England. Now, it's also a Bible story, the Witch of Endor, right? So I really wrestled with this. I was like, oh man, like, you know, like, the Witch of Endor, but it's a Bible story, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know, like, it's like I'm walking into the Bible. And so I wrestled back and forth with this, and then there was new ownership, and the new ownership rebranded they, they rebranded and they renamed it Witchcraft. And they put a pentagram. I don't know if you can see it. It's in red. They put a pentagram between the two words. And, and they're, they're doing a play on words. Craft beer. They made craft beer. And so they thought, Witchcraft, oh, that's kind of classy, clever. And, um, and so uh, I stopped going because I figured... I wouldn't go there if they'd renamed it We Hate Jesus and Love Satan, if that's what they had named their store. Even if it was clever marketing, I would struggle over that. I would have a hard time. And yet, it can feel confusing sometimes. Is that a thing? Should that be a thing? I don't know. And we wrestle, we have confusion over things in our world that we're dealing with and wrestling with. How do I please God in this situation? What about yoga? What about yoga pants? I thought, okay, maybe not for you. And, 
And we have serious wrestles, too, beyond yoga pants, for sure. Like, culture questions, like, what, what do we do with abortion? How do, we, how do we walk through that? Euthanasia, sexual orientation. How do we relate to a culture with different values? How do we engage and love people who are different? How do we, who, who live by a different worldview than us? How do we welcome and journey with and love people who have a different lifestyle, lifestyle maybe we, we don't support? These are, these are discussions I've had with you. We're wrestling through this. This was their wrestle too. Paul, the evangelist, the church planter, friend of Gentile pagans, says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever's sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to a dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever's set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in a sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you, and for the sake of conscience, I don't mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I've given thanks? And then he says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks, or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. This is Paul's take. He says it is confusing. There's lots of stuff, and some stuff offends our conscience. It offends the conscience of someone else. So we have to navigate it. We have to walk together. I think of my non-Christian neighbor who came over and he brought me a beer. And he said, hey, uh, this is a great beer. I, just, I bought it for you so you could try it. And I, I took it and it said, it was like black magic or something on it. It was like some name that I was like, oh, thank you. Do you know I'm a pastor, right? Okay. Or like he did just no, there was no connection at all for him. It was just like, I heard this was a good beer. And so you know what? I drank it with him. <laughs> Because it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing for him. And if he said, you know, I bought this for you and I'm not sure if, if you should have it because, you know, it says black magic, I'd be like, yeah, no, maybe I'll try it. I'll have the other one, not that one. You can have that one if you want. <laughs> we were wrestling like it's, it's, it's fear. It's not sacrifice to idols even. So, but we wrestle. It's a wrestle. And we're walking through it. It's, there's not easy answers. Eat what's in front of you to reach the lost. Everything is God's. So stop being religiously weird and reach out for the glory of God, for him, his glory. And Jesus issues the challenge that we should render to God what's God's. There's a story of a farmer. Matt, you'll like this story. Matt's our farmer. Uh, a farmer happily reported to his wife that their best cow had given birth to twin calves. And one calf was red and one calf was white. And so they, the farmer said, you know what? This is so great that we've got to, we're going to dedicate one of these calves to the Lord. And his wife said, 
great, okay, well, like, what does that mean? He said, well, like, when we go to sell these calves, we'll sell the calves, and then we'll give the money from one of them to the Lord. And she said, oh, that sounds great. So which, one is, which one's the Lord's? And he said, well, let's just raise them together, and at a certain point, we'll kind of know. I think we'll just know. And she said, okay, that sounds fine. And so a few months later, he came in to see her in the kitchen, and he was like, just seemed really miserable. He said, oh, honey, I, I'm so sad to tell you this news. The Lord's calf died. And she said, what? He said, yeah, it just died. She said, I thought you hadn't decided which one was the Lord's. And he said, no, a long time ago I decided it was the white one, and that's the one that died, so the Lord's calf died. And that was that. Like, this is what we do, isn't it? Like, it sounds funny until you get to the end, and then you're like, that's kind of sad, weird. Aren't we loophole people? Isn't that what we do? Aren't we always looking for a loophole to get around something to our advantage? It's just how we do it. Do you get the list of rules? Right away, we're looking for how do we get around the ones we don't like and still somehow look okay. This is our thing. Heaven forbid the church ever talk about money, right? This is the, the accusation. Oh, you're always after my money. So, you know, we don't ask for your money here. We just say, Give to the Lord, give to God the things that are God's. <laughs> give to God the things that are God's. What do you say to that? I mean, it's silence, right? That was their answer, was silence. They had nothing to say. They, there was no, there's no rebuttal to it. Like, give to God the things that are God's? It's like, well, I, I don't, I, mm. and they walked away, quiet, silent says, marveling at the answer. Instead of indicting him, he indicted them for their hypocrisy, for the way they lived, for their fake spirituality that looked for loopholes all the time. He had names for it. He called them whitewashed tombs or brood of vipers or sons of hell or blind guides or blind fools or hypocrites. And in Matthew's account, that happens just a little bit after this story. Where Jesus goes after them, angry about their hypocrisy. Isn't this us too? Aren't we busy parsing out what's God's and what's mine? Nine for me, one for you. Nine for me, one for you. Ten for me. Nine for me, one for you. Right? Maybe Sunday, church, that's God's. My career, that's definitely mine. Bible, yeah, you can have that. Don't understand it anyway. School, that's mine. Commuting, that's mine. My bank account, that's definitely mine. I already said my, my bank account is mine. Maybe the money in my wallet on a Sunday, that could be yours, God, I guess. Leisure, time, that's mine. Netflix, definitely mine. Sex life, mine. Relationships, mine. Fixing my problems, God's, and get on it, buddy. My rights to health, wealth, and happiness, mine, my rights, my right. What belongs to God? What belongs to God? Do you know the Bible has a lot to say about this? I'll give you a few examples. Deuteronomy 10, 14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong the heaven, heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and 
all that is in it. Psalm 89.11, the heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all it contains, you have founded them. Psalm 24.1-2, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Job 41.11, God says, who is given to me that I should repay them? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. It's a pretty thorough assessment, fairly comprehensive in its scope, isn't it? Like, God seems pretty clear on what he thinks is his, and it's everything. I told you this before. The Hebrews, they didn't have a word for spiritual. It wasn't, oh, this is spiritual and this is secular, or sacred and secular. It was like, Everything is God's. Everything. Every part of my life. He has dominion over. He has lordship over. John Mark Homer would say, The cosmic, gargantuan, 24-7 kingdom of God cannot be shrunk down to a few hundred people singing songs in a nice building for an hour every weekend. That is not the kingdom of God. It is much bigger as we studied Colossians, we, we went over this verse too, Colossians 1.17, And he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This biblical idea is hard to get around. If you disagree with this idea, it's hard to get around because it's so prevalent through all of the Bible that everything is God's and Jesus's. We can wrestle with sin and with evil in the world and its damage and effects, and that can be a discussion we have, and we figure that or talk through that, but the reality is that the world is God's, and he's come back for it, and he's coming again for it. That's the truth. On the night before his death, Jesus prayed this for his disciples, for us, his followers. He says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. That might have been a good prayer. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then he says this, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Into the world, but not of the world. We're in it, walking through it, navigating, following Jesus. And he's praying for us. Do you know every year now we get audited? I'm back to taxes again. We get audited every year now. It's like a thing. And the reason is because we give away too much money. And so it's a red flag. So every year they send me a letter and say, prove it. Show us what you got. And do you know what? I look forward to it. Do you know why? I mean, I don't look forward to the paperwork. Do you know why? Because I write a cover letter for the CRA person who's going to be dealing with my file. And the cover letter that I write says, I'm a Christian, and this is what I believe. That we were put here to change the world. And so I do that with my money. 
We give away a lot of money as a family because we believe that we're making a difference. And actually, Christians believe this. And so this is why. And here's my documentation. P.S. And I pray over that letter as I send it that it would, it would do something in the life of that person, whoever's reading it. Because that's what we're doing, isn't it? We're, we're living in a way that transforms others, that shares this good news with others in every area. Jesus sends us into God's world on his mission, sanctified in truth. And then he prays that God would keep us as we go. God wants your whole heart. It's my conclusion. And everything. They thought they were going to get Jesus. They thought they were going to get him, and they had the perfect conundrum to get him with, a culture question everyone disagreed about. And then Jesus throws the potato back in their lap, and it's really like a heart redirect. So worried about the image coin, so worried about blasphemy, so worried about their ritual hand washing, while they plan murder. (laughs) And Jesus just ducks the punch and lays one of his own in the most gentlest way with words. Give God what belongs to him. Give God what belongs to him. The glory to his name. Yes, we live in the world. Yes, we're not of it. And yes, this is confusing. The good news is Jesus is praying for us. That should be a comfort to you. But this is God's world and we belong to him. And God became man to save us. Jesus, the true image of God. Jesus, the true son of God. Given to pay our debt, our ransom. Given to set us free. Let's pray.